This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple, related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about, especially not lying. The show is hosted by John Syracusa. And I'm Dan Benchman. This is episode number 27. We'd like to say thanks to the Omni Group and for Harvest and, of course, Stack Overflow for making this show possible. I'll tell you more about them as the show goes on. I'd also like to mention that bandwidth has been provided by Midas Green Technologies, virtual private servers submerged in oil. Seriously, check them out at MidasGreenTech.com. So, you know, this was a big week for Apple, uh, not because of their announcements, uh, but because of your, your line review. Which was based on their announcements. Right, but I mean, this, the big news this week was that your review came out. For me, this sure. was the big news. Sure, it's big news for me, too. And I just I would like to just stop for a second and uh, and, and take a minute to say, uh, not just for me, but on behalf of all of my fellow geeks out there, congratulations on uh, the, the, the release of this. It's an excellent, excellent write-up, excellent piece of work. You should be incredibly proud of yourself. Uh, your best one yet. Best one yet. Best thing you've ever written. Nice of you to say that. I'm, I'm not kidding. Best thing you've ever done. If you never write something else again, you'll be able to hang your hat on this for your career. This is great. Read the whole thing, cover to cover, all 85 pages. You didn't actually print it, did you? I printed it, and I, I put every page up on a wall of the house mm-hmm. so that I could just sort of, almost like an art gallery, each page a perfect piece of, uh, of artwork and just move from one to the next, just sort of studying it. So did you put push pins in them and connect them with colored string? Uh, I had to resist, and the medication is helping with that. But uh, it came close. And it wouldn't have been string. It would have been multicolored yarn. You're right. I think you're right. But it was that. That was the idea I was going for. No, I didn't. And actually, there was a little, a little bit of a, of a story. When I started reading it, I started reading it on the web. And then I thought, well, you know, I want to be a little bit more mobile than this. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, I could use one of those readability, read later, uh, Instapaper type things to do it. I said, but instead, let's, let's see how this thing looks, you know, uh, through like an ebook format. So I, hopefully you get credit because I used your affiliate link to buy the uh, Kindle version of it. So hopefully you'll get that. And hopefully you get some cut of the sales because, uh, you know, you should. But anyway, the, that aside... Uh, it was great. I read it. I read it on my iPad. Um, starting about a third of the way through, I read the the last, uh, you know, two thirds of it on the iPad. A great experience. You know, I said on the past shows that uh, the way I thought was best to read it was on the web, and I still believe that. Having seen, like, I, I bought my own Kindle version of the book too, and I've seen the ebook version that you get if you're an ours uh, premier subscriber, which is very similar. And they're not they're not as good as the web version. Hmm. The web version. As more stuff, Kindle is awful with transparent pings, like the Kindle reader apps are. They don't know how to display transparent pings, so all of these screenshots that you take with Command-Shift-4 and then Spacebar to get the image and the shadow behind it, yeah. the transparent shadows get screwed up by the Kindle app. Uh, stuff like that, just as you can imagine, drives me up a wall. Well, let me actually... Still, that- I still say the best way to read it is on the web, uh, whether for free, just go to the website and read it, or pay for the Ars Premier subscription and you get no ads and all this other stuff that you get. But also, you can view it all on one page if that's what you want. I actually like it split up on several pages when I read long, long things at the Ars site so I can keep track of where I am. Well, let me just ask you a question about that because you mentioned the screenshots. 
all of the screenshots that you took, which were which were great. I was actually, to be honest, the way you were talking about having to redo all of them every time Apple changed something, uh, I, I was expecting more of them, and I was pleased that there that there weren't more of them. I thought it was just right, just the right amount. Uh, but how come you take the screenshots with the the drop shadows behind them? Is that a because you know, I mean, if if anybody knows, you can do it another way. You know, certainly that you can disable the the drop shadows. Why why keep them? Just because of that uh, transparency aliasing type issue. If you know that that might not translate well to a printed thing or to a different format, why why keep the drop shadows? Well, first of all, I didn't know going in that uh, the Kindle can't handle transparent images. It <laughs> seems like you know it's 2011. It's not like transparency in images is something new. So uh, had I known that going in. Uh, I don't know, maybe I would have made different choices for the Kindle version or tried to make duplicates for the Kindle or something. Right. But for, for Mac OS X screenshots, for a long time I was doing them without the drop shadow, using other pieces of software and stuff like that. But Mac OS X Windows have never really had edges. Like if you, if you zoom in on them with a, you know, a Pixie or whatever other screen right. zoom tool you want to use, they don't actually have edges. They have the content ends, right? And then there's a one-pixel thing that's kind of transparent. Uh, and you don't realize that that's not the edge. When you're looking at it, it looks like the edge. Like, it, you know, from a distance, it appears as a crisp edge there. But the, the transparency shows up that if you trim everything out uh, but still include that one-pixel line, you'll realize, huh, that one-pixel line is picking up the background. So if you have some dramatic background, like one of those nature images or something that comes with Mac OS X, and you chop everything out, you're like, why the hell does the border look all orange over here and blue over there? Like, you don't realize it's not, right? And your other choice is, all right, so fine, chop off that border. But then it looks like you, you don't know how to use an image editor, that you poorly you know, cut the thing, especially if the background of the web page that's being displayed on is a similar color to the content area. They, they seem to blend together. The window has no edge. And finally, there's the rounded corners, which on, on, in line are actually top and bottom on a lot of windows. The rounded corners, you have to deal with something there. You can't have an image that's that shape. So you do have to have transparency in the corners. And then you have this even worse problem because you've got a one-pixel transparent fade on the corners that's fading into the background. And Forget about trying to trim that off by hand or do anything with it. It's just a big mess. Drop shadow gets rid of all that. It's already transparent. You can trim the drop shadow. The only thing I didn't like in line is the drop shadow got way bigger. So now I have to truncate the drop shadow on Windows much more than I used to have to. And you can see that cutoff between like the smooth fade and right. then there's like the sharp cutoff before it goes to the background of the web page it's displayed on. So it's the lesser of many different evils. And I believe me, I've tried every possible approach and this is the one that drives me crazy the least. Let me just interrupt for a second, John, your train of thought and, and say if you're listening to this and you have not yet read this line review at Ars Technica written by John Syracuse, then shame on you. Stop listening now. And go read it. And I'll also, I'll do like a half shame if you didn't in some f- way or another support John by buying, buying it in some fashion, supporting ours and supporting John in some fashion, shame on you. I just want to be clear about that. Half shame for the second one. All right. So there's so much stuff to go through in this review. I'm not quite sure where to begin, but I figure I'll get my uh, personal whining out of the way first and then I'll let you drive and just say like you can pick out parts that you thought were interesting and we can jump off from there well i have to i have uh, to tell you i'm very nervous about this quiz you were you maybe you were kidding but i've been very nervous about it like i don't get nervous doing these shows even though i realize we have you know a very la- large audience i do shows every day so i've become accustomed to being you know live and recording live and having a, a large audience i've never been as nervous uh 
as I am today, to, prepared for this quiz because I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to fail it. I know I'm going to. It's fail. all it's all opinion based. Don't worry. Okay. All right. So, so first, I'm going to talk about my experience of publishing this review, which is a little inside baseball, but it's one thing that I can offer that other people talking about the same review can't. So I figured this is the place for it. So I thought when I was doing this that I would be very relieved when it finally got published. And I figured there would be the usual kind of scramble in the, the couple of minutes after it's published to, you know, fix typos and stuff right. like that. Um, and all of that was true. But one thing, a couple of conditions conspired to make this a much more difficult birth, so to speak, than my previous <laughs> reviews. The first, as I've talked about before, was that Apple gave the release date as just July, and I didn't know when July would be ready. So I tried to be ready on July 1st, because that's the worst case scenario that they actually release on July 1st, and I have to be ready, you know, day of, right? I, I made it, I did, wasn't ready on the 1st, but I did get it finished on the 3rd. But I was in such a mad rush to get finished that I always felt that the latter sections of the review, like sort of where I tailed off, where I had to just hurry up and get this thing done, were not up to snuff. Uh, and not up to snuff in a particular way. Now, if you look, go back through the reviews that I've written, it used to be that, and this, this is one of the things that gave me the reputation I have now, it used to be that the idea was from version X to version Y, I would tell you every single little minuscule thing that changed. And that used to actually be possible from like 10.0 to 10.1 or 10.1 to 10.2, not that much changed, right? And I was so embroiled in Mac OS X then and just so in interested in every little detail. Like right. I said, well, they move this thing by a pixel and they change how that's worded and they move that around like that. Uh, and and that, sort of, that sort of ramped up as it went along. It became harder for me to do that. In fact, what I started to do was as other people started to notice Mac OS X, they would do those NDA-breaking things where for months ahead of time, they'd be saying, hey, look, we found this. Hey, look, we found that. And I would comb the web and collect those, all those together. So when I publish mine... It would basically be a collection of things I discovered on my own, plus hopefully every other interesting thing that I could discover that anyone else discovered collected in one spot. So if you sure. wanted to know every possible thing that was changed, you would know it. Now, somewhere in the middle of Mac OS X's history, I started to drift from that for a couple of reasons. First was that it interested me less, you know, that they moved this pixel here or they changed this checkbox or that, you know, this used to be option modifier, but now it's shift and stuff like that. I became less interested in the small things like that, and I became more interested in the big things like, you know, the message of the OS, where is this going? What, what does this change mean for the future of, the, of users or the, the platform or anything like that? And the second one was they just started changing way too many things. Like, there was just no way that a single person uh, could find all the things that had changed, even if you're scouring the web. Uh, and the final one, I think, is that I, I lost interest in it, and I think readers did too, in that you can't have 30,000 words, uh, just screen after screen showing... The old version looked like this. The new version looked like that. This modifier changed. That modifier changed. This button changed over there. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's just not as interesting to readers. I don't think. I think if you if you saw pages upon pages of that, I wouldn't be able to do what I normally try to do in all these reviews, which is have some sort of through a thread or a narrative right. structure to it. If I'm just going through and annotating screenshots, like I think this is what you were saying, you were fearing when I when you said there's going to be a lot of screenshots. You're afraid it's just going to be screen after screen it's, of no, exactly. new and change things, and, exactly. gonna, and just like a few little like a few little comments underneath. And you see a lot of that on the web, and there's definitely a place from that. In fact, uh, the RS people decided at one point in the review. I said, if you're looking for a screenshot gallery that shows you every change screen, this isn't it. You can find other ones on the web. And the RS guys, when they're editing your review, said, you know, why don't we do one of those so that we don't have to direct people to another website? And I said, yeah, you should do one because there's a place for that. Some people want that, and 
I would like to give it to them. So they did a line screenshot gallery, and I linked to it from my review to say, if this is what you're looking for, this is this over here, but my thing is over there. Uh, but anyway, getting back to the release date, I wanted to do more of that type of stuff. Like, I saved that for the end. Like, I have copious, copious notes of all these little things that changed here and there, and I wanted to have, to have a couple of weeks at the end to just do the grab bag section properly or flesh out the application changes section with all these little things that were in my notes, but I just didn't get to it. And once I shipped it, it was just like on the third, once I put it off into the editorial process, it's like, I can't, you know, I can't go back and keep changing this because that will, it will not ever allow them because they're making ebook versions and, and they have to copy edit it and they have to, you know, go through regular editing. And like, I can't keep going back and say, Oh, and by the way, I just changed 2000 words. Oh, and here's a whole big new thing. Because we had to be ready to go at any day. We didn't know when it was going to come out, right? So I just didn't get that. You know, if, it was a, if there was a hard date and that date was the actual date it was released, the 19th or whatever, I don't even remember anymore, uh, I would have worked right up to the limit where they would have X number of days for editing and stuff. But as things stood, it had to go in the third, go through the process, and then it kind of sat there. And then it's like, well, can I go back in and add stuff now well that means anything i add has to be recopy edited it has to be reincorporated into the ebook versions and the ebook versions even though amazon was had a quick turnaround time we didn't know it was going to be quick so we wanted to you know that ebook version was being worked on and had to be submitted and i i just didn't touch it after it was in there on the third except for one or two minor things and then when it shipped the, I, I all i could think of was like all the all the ways that i had failed to live up to what i expected out of that part of the review now the other part of the review, the part where I'm talking about what these changes mean for the OS and the direction of the future, I was very happy with that. I just wasn't happy with the, with the amount of detail I wanted to cover, even down to things like, you know, these are not things that I was completely unaware of. They're in my notes, right? I didn't even get time to go through all of my notes and say, well, what I wanted to do was go through my notes line by line and say, did I talk about that? Yes, no, or decided not to. Did I talk about that? Yes, no, or decided not to. Not just didn't have time for that. And I was just so burnt out by the time it was done. Uh, so that, that disappointed me. And sure enough, when it shipped, first we had the, the rain of typos and stuff coming. It was actually pretty good considering 27,000 word. There was maybe 20 instances of typos or wow. speech jokes. That's, that's or nothing. Things. Yeah, the, the copy editors at ours are actually really good. And the stuff that they missed is, you know, it's understandable. One or two double words. Uh, I could say was that, that maybe should have been caught by copy editing, but you know I I don't even know how those guys do what they do. I wouldn't have caught any of them because I'm a horrible copy editor. Uh, but the, the second thing that burned me is that even though, as you've discussed in previous shows, even though the build number for the retail release of this thing is the same as the build number for the GM seed, it's not the same thing. Uh, and and I felt a little bit better when I read the exact same, well, at least one of the exact same mistakes in the Macworld review. I, I sm- had a section in the review where I initially talked about how. Uh, you know, the dock indicator lights showing the applications sure. are running. Yeah. I, I talked about how those were uh, not turned on by default and how the message Apple was sending with that. Well, they weren't turned on by default in every single build, including the GMC build, but in the retail release, they're on. So even though it's the same build, they change things in the OS, things like that, things like what the default setting is when you do a new install. It's not like it's a different build of the OS, but when you install it, you get a different experience. And there were... And that you could, know, you know, that could have been very, very much a last minute decision, right. like, so like the, the night of. That's what I was getting to when I was trying to say that, like, always wait for the retail release if you possibly can, because even, and this is, this is an extreme case, it is exactly the same build number. So I'm sure the binaries and the libraries are all exactly the same as the GMC, but it is not, quote unquote, the same OS. Because if you install the GMC on an empty hard drive and you install the retail release on an empty hard drive and you launch them, 
one has dots under the dock and running apps and one doesn't. Uh, stuff like that, getting burned because we were reviewing the GMC was tough and that was something new in this experience because in the past, almost always they'd give you like, this is the final GM, you've got a week to test your applications with it, it's going to show up in stores on this date and we would know it's the final GM. Like, it would be a, a disk image and it would be byte for byte identical to if you burned it to the disk image you buy in a, in a store. Uh, so that was a little bit tough. Um, and then finally, because I was so fried near the end of this, I made a whole bunch of just dumb mistakes. Uh, and since this is hypercritical, I should go through a few of them. Uh, this is not going to be a comprehensive list, but this is just kind of the uh, uh, an example of each kind of error, maybe. Um, so the dock indicator lights already went through things where the, the retail build was different in terms of policy or defaults than, than the GMC. What can you do about that, right? No one had the retail build until my review was already published. Right. You know, or close to it. Uh, trying to figure out how the installation process works with the recovery partition and everything like that. I got fooled by, I mean, I, I had a limited amount of nosing around I could do from the terminal to try to figure out what the heck is it actually booting from? What does it look like? And I got fooled by the fact that the thing that it boots from looks very similar to the recovery partition, but it doesn't actually reboot from the recovery partition when it goes to the installer. It does a separate boot image on the boot drive, then creates the recovery partition, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> These are all technical details no one cares about, but it kills me when I know that. Well, you're going for there. 100% accuracy. That's your I goal. Know, I, yeah, I want 100%. And it's, I, like I talked about in the previous show, I didn't just assume that it booted from the recovery job. I said, let me confirm this. Let me get into a terminal when I'm in that stage in the installer process, see if I can poke around and look at what the heck this is and where it's mounted and what the contents are. And I just, I just got fooled because it looks like something that was familiar to me. I didn't realize it was on, you know, because you can't tell what, what slash is and where it's coming from, especially when it's booting off a disk image. And it's, it's difficult to understand uh, all that stuff. So I, I was annoyed by that. Uh, Apple broke a bunch of my links to documentation, which annoyed me. The day line was released, they rejiggered all of their documentation. Now, I had never linked to the documentation that was under like the pre-release URLs because I know those aren't going to work for people. I'm linking to thing like TechNote. This is the one that really killed me. TechNote 1150, which talks about the HFS plus volume format, which as you can imagine, I linked to like six times. Various sections of it, you know, have anchors within it because it's a very long document. I linked to various sections of it to explain certain concepts if you didn't know what I was talking about. They removed that from the web entirely. So not only did they move the URL, there is no URL for it. I found one guy who had copy-pasted it years ago, and I updated the web version to include links to that. Uh, and I talked to some Apple people, and they basically said, we cleaned up our documentation. If there's some documentation that used to be there that's not, and you want it back, file a bug, which is just basically, the, you know, it's like the, you know, the old saying, what, what uh, Patches Welcome translates to in the open source world? Right. What is it? Yeah. F you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Patches Welcome. File a bug if you want it back. They're serious, I know, but like, uh, it's not the type of turnaround time that I expect. I need something that these links can go to now. So I linked to this guy's copy and pasted thing. Uh, what else did I get wrong? Some features that were that I said were new in line were not new in line. They existed in Snow Leopard, and I'd just never seen them through a series of strange coincidences. Like one of them is the uh, the uh, the lock screen that allows you to switch to a different user. Well, I, I use fast user switching at home. But I don't use screen locking because, you know, it's in my house and physically secure or whatever. And at work, I use screen locking for security reasons, but I don't use fast user switching because I'm the only person who's on that machine. And this situation has been the same across multiple jobs and multiple Macs. And all this conspired to make me never actually see the switch user button, which apparently exists under certain circumstances on Snow Leopard. If you have, like, the fast user switching menu item enabled and, and you have uh, multiple accounts and you have screen locking turned on. 
uh, what was another one? There was another similar thing where it actually existed in Snow Leopard, and I thought it was new, and I had to clarify which aspects of it were new. The entire feature wasn't new, but the, the appearance of it was whatever. Stuff like that kills me. And like, so the first couple of days the thing was up, all I'm doing is running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to fix these things. And every time I fix one, I'm thinking that Kindle version is out there without these changes because Amazon's system for updating Kindle eBooks sucks. You can upload a new version, but then you ask Amazon, okay, if I, if I give you a new version of this and you eventually you know, vet it and put it up on the thing, what happens to all the people who have already purchased and already downloaded this? Do they get the new version? They say no. Uh, they can request the new version from Amazon if they want some, through some mechanism. So they have to like, you know, and, and Amazon says, we'll, we'll happily email all the people who purchased <laughs> it and tell them, hey, if you want the new version, please send us a request and here's the URL to go to. Like that's not 20 but you don't want, And you don't want to do that every day either. I mean, if you're fine one change, you don't want the email going yeah, out to yeah, thousands right. of people so, every so day. So there's necessarily days where, uh, in fact, I, don't, I think the Kindle version is actually finally updated now, but there are many days where just, you know, tons and tons of changes to the web version that were not in the Kindle version. And so then I had to endure <laughs> repeated, it's not, I don't say endure, like these people, sh- I'm glad every single one of these people sent me in a correction. Uh, it's just tough when you know that the thing they're telling you to correct has been corrected on the web for oh, a long yeah. time. And you're it's just, not you're just in the wait, Kindle version yet. Now you're kind of getting a sense of how like an iOS developer feels once they've submitted yeah. an app and it, yep. it fixes all these bugs that are giving it the one star, this app sucks reviews, and they're just like waiting on Apple yep. to do something. It's exactly the same type of thing. So that was not a, a pleasant experience. Uh, so the launch was, was rocky for me. And uh, How are you handling it? It was all right. I, I could continue to whine about that stuff, but I think you get the gist of it. Yeah. That's so. Although pe- everyone else was happy that this review came out, and I was happy too, it was a difficult experience for me. Uh, it, they usually are difficult, but I always felt better knowing that I could, if I quickly responded to them, uh, I, the web version could be up to date and it would be good. And I could just tell people, "Oh, I fixed that. Reload." Right. Right. Now I can't say that anymore. All these people are reading the Kindle version, which I appreciate. I appreciate them buying it, even though even though I said that's not the way I would want to read it. That's that's me. If people, if other people want to read it on, on their Kindle or in Instapaper or in Readability or however the heck they want to read it, I'm happy to let them do that. And ours, I think, is great by offering like every possible way you can imagine to read this. You want to read it in iBooks? There's you know a way to do it. Sub- subscribe to ours, download the EPUB, load it into iBooks. If you want to read it on your Kindle, we have a Kindle version. You want to read it on the web? You can have it on the web. You want to read it on the web single page? You can read it on the web single page. You subscribe to ours. Well, the, you, wanted, the, you know there was you, one. There was one way missing, John. There was one way missing. Carved on a little pyramid? No, there's no audiobook version. Yeah. And I, 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 offered, I, I, I offered, tried to get ours to do podcasts for years. I said, hey, you know, I would do a podcast if ours ever wanted to get into podcasts. They're just not into it. They're just not into audio. Well, listen, I, it's obviously, because I offered to do an audiobook reading of it for free and, and donate all the proceeds uh, to, to you. Yeah, well, that, what can I tell you? They're not into it for whatever reason. Well, sh- well shame on them. And uh, but I'll tell you what: if they ever want to do a podcast, that they you know, give us a call. We'd love to do it. We'll skip. We'll get John set up with a real mic. Everything. Yeah, they're just not into podcasts. Period. I don't. I don't understand what the, the deal is. But you know, it's all tied up into their digital content strategy. Maybe they have some sort of audio plan. Maybe they're like Apple, like they're building something huge and nobody's going to know about it until it's really, really awesome and then they'll, they'll strike big with it. Yeah, it could be. Our first sponsor today is the Omni Group, makers of productivity applications exclusively for macOS 10, iPhone, and iPad. They're known for their awesome software, gold standard customer support, 
and palpable geekery. Well, today I'd like to tell you about their brand new release of OmniPlan, project management made more painless. Features things like enhanced collaboration, smart scheduling, which enables users to account for the variance in a schedule of an individual resource or the project as a whole. This new version 2.0 supports fiscal years in addition to calendar years. I mean, all of the things that you want to do when you're managing a project, this lets you do. One of the coolest things is what they call enriched resource allocation. This provides the ability to manage resource allocation for people and tools. And it even features a task splitting tool that lets you divide the time of a task to fit around specific interruptions. They even have things like hammock tasks. What is that? I don't even know what that is, but they have it. You've got all kinds of filters, baselines. There's even improved printing options because, you know, the project management, you need to print stuff. It's just the way it is. You print it. And now this is completely optimized for the Mac experience. You've got headers and footers that are more flexible. These are things you can give to your client if you're working on a client project, or you can hand these things out at meetings. It actually is really pretty cool. If if you've got to manage a product and a project, this is the absolute best way to do it. OmniPlan. So you just go to omnigroup.com. You can find out about this. And of course, it's also available everywhere that you would want to install Mac software. So go check them out. So uh, I'll start my, my quiz for you. This is sort of the broad level stuff. Uh, this is one comment to the comments thread on the article that I like to read. It's like a paragraph. Uh, and I wanted to, well, maybe I shouldn't poison the waters by reading you <laughs> this thing first. I should just tell you, if you, if you re- ask you, if you read the review, what would you say, if you had to summarize what John Syracuse thought of Line, what would you say? Wow. Like overall, overall. you know, and not just like thumbs up, thumbs down, but just like a one sentence description, you know? I would say that, that you feel, gosh, that's tough. That really is tough because I really got, I really got mix, a mixed vibe from you. On the one hand, I mean, you certainly did find a lot of things to complain about, but uh, you also seem to feel it was almost like, it generally, I think of you as somebody who's either neutral or, or pessimistic. And I, I feel like, I wouldn't go so far as to say you were optimistic about some things, but there is, like, I feel like there is just a little tiny glimmer of hope in this article that, like, maybe things will be okay. Uh, I feel like overall you thought it was, uh, it was, it showed promise, it was a worthy worthy upgrade it's something that assuming your apps are compatible it's something you should do uh you actually you know i was surprised and something i wanted to talk to you about was that some of the recommendations that that you made uh even even using things like file vault uh aka whole disk encryption things like that i have a list of things that i wanted to ask you about but i can't do i don't know how could i do a one sentence just i think you liked it and i think that uh you feel like it shows a lot of steps in the right direction and seems to acknowledge a lot of issues uh, that, that have been there in Mac OS X. It shows that Apple is acknowledging them and at least taking steps in the right direction. Clearly, there's some visual interface things that, uh, you know, GUI things that you do not like. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, the improvements or the potential for improvements to the file system, you talk about... Uh, you know, memory management, things like that. These are, these are beefs that you've had for a long time and they might not be addressed fully, but it looks like Apple's laying the groundwork for some of them. So I I feel like you're cautiously optimistic. Does that sound fair? 
See, I thought you have a similar opinion to the one that I'm hearing. I thought I was much more nakedly optimistic than most people who read it think I am. And especially for people who know, you know, if you're listening to Hypercritical, you know I'm very critical of things. Uh, so let me, let me read you this dude's or person's review. Yeah, let me, let me hear dude. Uh, it says, I like the factual parts of the review so far, but I stopped reading at page seven. You know, you know these people who stop reading, it's always some. How many, because, because I read this on, mostly on the Kindle, I don't know what, how many pages yeah. it was. So what is page seven? That's, is that's, that, that's like midway through. Midway right, through. Let me continue. Why? Be, much of it is opinion, and what I take from it, 90%, 95% negative. I'm sorry, John, I know you put a lot of time into this, but so far this has come across to me with the attitude that you dislike change or something different. It reminds me of when people travel to other countries and complain about the way things are done differently and how it's wrong and how it's bad. No, I didn't get that at all. I totally disagree with that person. And, and see, now, it, it goes on to... to uh, that's, that's the meat of the thing. Like, I, and when I see people who, who say, oh, but Jesus, a lot of complaining, I'm like, well, okay, maybe this is somebody who's never read anything that I've written before and doesn't realize that, you know, of course it's going to be complaints. Yeah, that's you can do way... way and it you, doesn't mean I don't like something. You know, I'm going to complain about everything, right? Uh, in fact, the more I think something have, has the potential to be great or the more it is great in other ways, the more I'm prone to complain about the parts that aren't, right? But th- the idea that I'm one of those people who, who is against all of these changes, and you kind of talked about it too, and some of the people in the chat room said, you know, the consumerization, the iOSification of, of the thing, dumbing it down, protecting users from themselves, you know, hiding things, that somehow... I was against that, uh, and, I, and it's because I'm a tech nerd and should just accept that's the way it's supposed to be. On the other side of the coin, there were other people in the comments thread, at least one other guy, I should have saved the URL to this thing, who was like, in the ending section when I said, you know, hey, do you know the width of your, and, and, and speed of your bus or the size right. of your L2 cache right now, blah, blah, blah. He answered, yes, yes, I knew these things then. I knew these things now. I know everything about everything. Uh, and <laughs> Apple is, is dumbing things down. I mean, you know there's always a guy like that, right? I didn't respond to him. Someone else in the comments thread responded to him and said, look, you can't know everything about everything. You don't know everything about You may think you know a lot about your computer, but you know how, you know how much doping there is in the silicon in each transistor. You know what the, you know, the gate leakage current is. I mean, nobody knows everything about everything. And never mind your car, your desk, the insulation in your house. Your refrigerator, what, what type of refrigerant is used in a refrigerator? Do you know if it's Freon or one of the other things or how, uh, how much voltage the compressor uses? No one knows everything about everything. It's impossible, and that's just a ridiculous argument. So that's the other side of the coin. It seemed that, as, as I seem to usually do, getting complaints from both sides, the people who were in favor of the changes in lying were saying, you were too critical of them, you're afraid of change, you're afraid they're dumbing things down, you're an enemy of progress. And the people who were against the changes were saying, I was too permissive and should have said, there's no way we should ever allow this. Apple should, uh, you know, you should still know everything about your computer and everything Apple does to hide the innards from you is worse. Uh, I thought I was pretty clear, especially in the conclusion, that I am in favor of this direction of removing things that the user has to be concerned about, you know? And I thought that came through clearly, but it's amazing to me that people, this is what happens. I think people read me explaining how things are different. Like here's how it works in line. Here's how it used to work, you know? And I do a comparison. I say, and here's, here's the philosophy behind it. It used to be that X, Y, and Z could happen. Now with these changes, they're trying to aim for a situation like this. And here's how, uh, iOS does it, and, and it's showing that it's actually possible to work like this, so on and so forth. All right, People so, would read that, and depending on how they felt about those changes, they would map those feelings onto me as the sure, author. So, sure, so sure. if they didn't like the changes, they'd be like, this author is describing all these things, and 
These things are obviously on their face horrible. Therefore, this author has just listed 20 horrible things. Well, you know? so I have an analogy for you, John. Now, and by the way, I disagree with that person. I'll, I'll tell you what I think of that in a minute. But uh, here's an analogy. Now, I know that you're the perfect husband. Uh, I, am, I am not. And I'm married to a wonderful woman who's incredibly uh, patient. But... I, and maybe this is a you know this is an invalid thing to say, but I think I think it's typical that when people read this and they they hear and remember the negative things far more than they hear and remember uh, or see the the positive things. So, for example, if for an entire week you remember, you know, that when you come in the house, you take off your shoes and you put them down in the right place, you know, and the one day that you get home a little early and you you put them down in the wrong place, your wife walks in. What are your shoes there for? You know. That, now, I'm not saying that that would ever you know, happen in my house, but it's that kind of thing. People remember or notice the, the, the more negative thing, the thing you do, you do wrong or the thing that you're you – know, so, so if people were to read this and interpret things the way that, that things that come across as criticism versus the things that come across as a, a positive uh, – I think I think they're going to feel like there's more of the things that are critical. Now, I what I did not do, and maybe this is because I feel like I know you, and I, I know the way that that you think of these things, and I know that your motive is to point things out so that they they will be fixed or improved. Right? I feel like, from my standpoint, that you were pretty you know cautiously optimistic about it. You said maybe you said nakedly optimistic. I don't I don't didn't get that. But you certainly were, it wasn't like scathing. And I did not, and the key point of this, I did not get the impression that you're resisting change. I feel like you're welcoming change. If anything, you're heralding it. You, you want it as long as it's a change that you feel is in the right direction. And my take on your definition of right direction is something that uh, is better at communicating with the user, uh, making it easy for the user to do things. So like one of the things you spent a long time going over is, you know, you, you talk, well, this, you didn't spend that much time, but you mentioned it a couple times. And that is that the, the interface of line continues in the direction of sort of, uh, I don't know if this is the word, but make it, it makes everything monochrome, the monochromatization of the interface so that it, it puts the emphasis on the content. But you even mention that the folders that have custom icons and you go to, you did a pretty funny example where you've got these huge custom icons of like Indiana Jones's hat and things like that, that are just simply not reflected in the sidebar at all. There can be no color in the sidebar. There can be no custom folders in the sidebar. Like I get, I get the thinking behind that for Apple because they really want the content to stand out, but there's also a value to having a visual cue and things like that. So when you, when you criticize those things, to me, I don't feel like you're resisting change. You're saying something that we used to have has been that 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 was helpful to us has been taken away and replaced with something that is not as helpful to us. And those are the every single time I feel like that I saw a you know you being negative or critical or something that was the motivation behind it. It wasn't like I don't like this; it's different. I, I didn't get that at all, John. What I got was. This is different, and it no longer effectively does this. It's it's gone, and it, it's gotten worse, and that's why you're. Did I nail that? I mean, is that right? Is that that seems to be like what you were thinking? Yeah, like see, sometimes even in that little section, I remember the section you're talking about. If I had to expand on that, that's the good thing about a podcast. I can expand on things extemporaneously. If I had to expand on that section, why is it? 
why is it bad that the folders are gray? Sometimes I don't say things because I think that it's obvious, and then I realize it's totally not obvious to everyone except me and three other people. Uh, I, I gave Apple's philosophy there about uh, the, why, why the heck is everything, the color being drained out of everything? And the philosophy is focus on the content. The, the, don't draw attention to parts of the interface because the interface is not what's important. We want the interface to disappear and the content to be king. And you see that a lot on the iPad and, and other iOS things where the app fills the whole screen. Right. There's not a lot of like Chrome and stuff like that. But in the Finder, if, what are, if folders aren't content, what is? The Finder is for dealing with files and folders, right? And even though those Finders are in the sidebar, that's, you know, if you want, the reason you're putting them there is because they're frequent destinations and they're places you want to go. Like, that is content for the Finder. It's not a frill. It's not. I guess it is kind of part of the interface, but it's like if there's one application where folders are content, it's the Finder. Because right. what does the Finder do but manipulate content? So that, that's an example of a philosophy, which I think is a reasonable philosophy. You can quibble about the execution, you know, because like you, as you said, you do give up some things when you decide to go this route. You do give up distinguishability or whatever term you want to use for being able to pick stuff out because it doesn't draw your eyes now. Sure. It also kind of blends. But, if, you know, but you could say that this is a reasonable philosophy, but applying it in a blanket fashion has places where it falls down, and, and that one that I highlighted is is one of them. You know, I, I guess I should have expanded out to say, you know, folders are content in the Finder. Right. Uh, they, this is going a step too far. Uh, maybe I just wanted to make a funny joke. Uh, uh, but but anyway, <laughs> yeah. The, so the that I, I think you're getting the right thing from the review, but I guess I guess sometimes. I'm reading over the little ending bit that I put in there. I guess sometimes I'm daring the reader to be on the same page as me. I, I, I realize I do kind of say things that can be interpreted both ways because it's kind of, as someone said in the chat room, a Rorschach test for the reader that I want to say something that uh, both sides of whatever continuum of, of uh, disagreement there is on this issue can believe is either affirming or opposing their point of view. So let me read the, the final paragraph of the review here. Ah, great. Uh, Over the past decade, better technology has simply reduced the number of things that we need to care about. Line is better technology. It marks the point where Mac OS X releases stop being defined by what's been added. From now on, Mac OS X should be judged by what's been removed. Now, there's a middle part in there that I think, again, lays things bare. Lion is better technology. That's pretty unambiguously, almost entirely unambiguously positive. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, like I, how, I if for, for, saying, especially for a person like you, but how, how much more positive would you want to be on that? I agree with, for this time, I really agree with you. I agree and, and with then, you. And then, you know, so it, it's saying better technology, and then it's, uh, I had previously defined better technology in, in the earlier sentence by saying it's reducing the number of things we have to care about, which is an exact sentence I brought up earlier in the review as well, I think even in italics at that point. Uh, and then the bit about uh, releases stopping defined by what's been added. It's kind of like in all the past reviews, it's like, wh what have you brought me? All right, this time machine added, this expose has been added, or, you know, this, this metal things, there's a new application. Uh, you know, what, what, are, what are the checkboxes on the back of the box that tell me this is the thing that I want to upgrade to because it's got all these great new features, you know? And Snow Leopard kind of being like a, a fizzle off on that point where it's like, no more checkboxes. Same OS you had before, more or less, we changed the internals, right? But it was, that was acknowledged as a break. But now, Lion was like, not only we're not adding stuff, we're taking stuff away. Not taking away features so much as things that were associated with the desktop computing experience that we think don't have a place in the future. Uh, we're going to 
remove them from the experience. And examples are like saving documents or remembering what things you opened or eventually, you know, dealing directly with the file system and stuff like that. And the bit of the end where I said, Mac OS 10 should, should be judged by what's been removed from now on, right? The people who don't like that, the people who say you're dumbing down my computer, uh, you know, I don't want a VCR, I want a com- general purpose computer that I can do stuff with. VCR, man, I'm dating myself. <laughs> Those people said, yeah, they're taking away stuff. They're saying it should be judged by what's been removed and they should be judged harshly for everything they remove. Like, I, you would not believe the number of people I got who came to me saying, you know, uh, or, or said uh, out on the internet, you know, Googling myself and finding the links to it, that, you know, he's saying the Mac OS 10 should be judged by what's been removed. It's, it's a warning call. Be vigilant, people. Every time Apple removes something, we have to yell about it. John is saying, you know, judge them on what they remove. No, it's not what I'm saying. I am, it's the opposite. I think I'm for all the things that they're finding in the desktop operating system experience. Things that we accept, people who have grown up with PCs accept as part of what it means to use a computer that are bogus, that are the only reason we like them is because we've grown up using them, but they have no place in, you know, they have no purpose other than, you know, it's like, I don't know what the analogy is for a class for old cars. It's like cranking the engine before you started or whatever other thing you used to have to do that you don't have to do now. Right. It's, it's not part of the thing you're doing with the computer. It's part of dealing with the computer. And the ones they removed are such no-brainers because it's like, it's not like they're speculatively saying, we think people can get along without saving just fine. There's, there's millions of iOS devices out there. None of them have a save button in their, inter, in their interfaces, right? And no one ever said a peep about it. Be, gee, I like this iPad app, but if it had a save button, I'd like it way better. Nobody has ever said that in the, <laughs> right. the universe, right? Or, or, or their phone applications or anything like that. And it's not like the, you know, there's text editors for the phone, Simple Note, you know, the, uh, stuff like that. There's graphics applications or people doing paintings for the cover of the New Yorker with iOS applications. Those people are like this. This painting application is great, but if it had a save button, I'd really like it a lot better, you know. And most iOS applications don't even have the things that Line is bringing with the versioning built in right. and be able to revert at any time. The most they maybe have is a, a big undo history and maybe a revert to last uh, version that you know that, from an hour ago or something like that. I don't, it, you know, it's I don't use enough applications that are sort of document based on iOS to know what people do beyond the standard thing. And the standard thing is. Everything is automatically saved. You know, the notes application, mail, Twitter application. You're in the middle of writing tweet, whatever. You know, I'm in the middle of writing tweet all the time. I hit the home button, boom. I'm the, I don't even have an iPod with multitasking. My iPod Touch can't even run the multitasking. But if I'm in the middle of writing a tweet and I have to get a URL from somewhere or check my mail for something, because I, I have to want to finish the tweet, I hit the home button. When I relaunch my Twitter application, that partially written tweet is still there. I, I never think, oh, there needs to be a save button on this tweet or something like that. You know. The iOS is a real-world working example of almost every single thing that they put into line showing that it does work. But because the context of people's brains are different when they're in front of their Mac than in front of iOS, these same people who accepted this completely with iOS now are saying, you, can't, you have to have manual saving because it's impossible for me to work the way I normally work. And, you know, that's not what they say, but they say, this is, it's impossible. You, can't, you need to have save. You can't have it automatically saving. It's going to screw everybody up. It's going to make me lose data. What they're really saying is that they have habits built up over decades of how you use a desktop computer and how you interact with this different saving. But as I tried to point out in the review, it's a failed experiment. You know, even the best of us, even the people, and Marco talked about it in, in his recent episode too, even, even the people who know this, the, the current system or the pre-line system inside and out, even we screw up sometimes, right? And forget about regular people. They screw up constantly. They, they, they simply cannot map that model that the computer is using for data retention 
onto the way their mental model, they think how it should work. And those same people have no problem with iOS because then finally their mental model matches how the thing does it. They just don't think about saving. It goes away, right? Uh, Lion is trying to do that on the Mac and running into people's pre-existing notions of how computing can work. Now, I thought that was crystal clear that I am for ditching these things. Maybe people got hung up on the part where I said, like, the parts that work on iOS that are sort of, that don't work when you bring them over to the Mac or, or that have disadvantages, like the, the, the value proposition is different. Saving and restoring and, and stuff I don't think is one of those issues. I think that's simply an issue of inertia and people being used to the way things work. And I think we will all be much better off once we can get over that hump. Hiding the scroll bars and stuff like that, there's serious trade-offs there. And you even noted, I was glad to hear you, I think it was on the talk show, talking about how you'd be staring into line screen and take a couple seconds to realize that there's more content. Lower. Yeah, no, that so happened That happened a lot. And it, it's not happening now, but I find that I'm scrolling when I don't you're need to it, you're, you're pawing at things to see if there's more stuff. You're, <laughs> right. you're, you're mapping. Imagine you, if you did that in real that. life. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, it's not... See, that's the type of situation where it's a clear trade-off. Like, you are, you are sacrificing the ability to know at a glance if there's more stuff with 100% certainty. Now... If there's something truncated on the bottom, you can suspect. But what, you, what I find most people will be replacing it with is the pawing notion. Now, let me just check if there's more. Let me just check it. And maybe that's fine. Maybe that's, you know, instead of glancing with your eyes, you paw at it with your fingers. You do that in iOS apps all the time because, of course, they have the same problem. But on iOS, like I said in the article, that trade-off has very different, it, 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 you know, it weighs differently on, on the things that you're trading off there, especially on the phone. Look, you just got, you can't have that scroll bar there. You just can't. There's no room on the screen. You absolutely have to ditch it. Uh, and so they did the best they could where it appears and disappears and stuff like that. Right. But on a 30-inch display, that trade-off is, you know, maybe not great. Uh, you know, and maybe you don't want to replace pawing with, uh, with that type of situation uh, on a 30-inch display. On the 11-inch Air, starts to, as I said, the closer the Mac gets to an iOS device, the more the iOS trade-offs start to make sense in that context. Uh, I didn't talk about this in review, but one of my fears is that... So in, in Lion, they have obviously options to reverse almost all these things. Uh, and you're always wondering, uh, I think Ruben talked about this too. So those options are there now, but do they all go away in the next version? And if they go away, do they stick with... Which way are they, which way are they toggled permanently, right? So the scroll bars, you can say automatically based on input device. The idea being that if you don't have a touch device, the trade-off is probably i mean apple is basically saying with it with that thing automatically based on device if you don't have a touch-based device it's not worth the trade-off you should always see the scroll bars all right because if you have a mouse attached but no touch device apple defaults in that auto mode to showing the scroll bars uh so what's going to be say say that option those uh, radio buttons go away in the next version what happens is automatic the default uh is always showing the default is you know how do they go with that? And the, the usual notion is whatever the defaults are in Lion, that will be the permanent setting in whatever comes after Lion. And it's probably true in most cases, but in the case of, like for the dock indicator lights is a good example. They reversed that at the last second. Why? It's obviously wanted them to be off. Uh, and they put the option in there. So really, pro users wouldn't, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what the heck the default is. If I want the little lights, I'll turn them on. If they don't, I'll turn them off. Pro users love options. They say, you, they can't get worked up about it. They can say, all right, so fine. The, the default, it's off. Uh, you know, and may, maybe if that screws up their friends and relatives and it makes their tech support more difficult, they'll complain about it a little bit. But as far as they're concerned, well, if I could turn it off, I said it once, I never think of it again, and I'm fine. Uh, 
but they Apple itself reversed the decision, and I guess they just said, "Look, that's not a good default right now. It leads to too much confusion. People can't tell what's running, and as much as we want them not to have to care like they do on iOS, the reality is we're not there yet. So turn them on by default." Which is kind of weird because if you think about it, uh, you know, they added this feature and left this checkbox, but who in their right mind is going to turn that off? Because pro users aren't going to turn it off because they like the old way and they're used to knowing you know, what's running and what's not. And novice users always leave the defaults. So <laughs> who in the world is going to turn those dots off except as some sort of weird experiment or maybe a few people who are saying it's freeing not to know which one's running. I just like it better. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so in, in terms of my overall view of Lion... I'm for almost every single one of the things that they're trying to do with the OS. I may be against the details of the execution and quibble over some things that, that don't work as well in, in several desktop contexts, but in, in the camp of people who, who like, you know, autosave is the best litmus test because it's like people who cannot conceive of, because they're so used to doing things the way they normally do with saving, they cannot conceive of ever operating in the environment where autosave exists I'm, I'm not in that camp. I, I, I'm exactly with them in terms of habits and that all of my habits are honed on manual saving. Uh, but I can totally see how the other way is better, mostly because I, I accept how I operate on iOS and how problem-free it is there that that can work on the desktop. And because I've had transitional apps like BBEdit, which has done almost all these things for, for years now, and I, it has sort of eased me into this way of working. I still manually save like crazy in BBEdit, and I'm still bad, glad BBEdit makes little backups. Uh, but the restore thing and the fact that BBEdit auto-saves almost everything for you, so if the app crashes and you relaunch it, your partially edited work is still there. Uh, you know, I, I, see, I see that the, the other way can be better and is better, uh, and it's going to take other people a while to see that. And as I think I tried to point out in, in the review, there's going to be this uncomfortable transition period because it's not like this is another thing that I should have expressed more clearly. Lots of people still think, even after reading my review, that you upgrade to Lion and all your apps get these magic new abilities. No, they have, you have to change the apps. You, know, the, you have to get updated versions of the apps. Developers have to change them. And that's going to be a long time before that happens. Uh, and so there's going to be a big, long, uncomfortable transition period. But, but what can you do? You have to get from there to here. iOS had it easy because they could come from day one and say, this is the way iOS works. There's no save button. Uh, it's just the way it is. You can't tell what's running and what's not. It's just the way it is. It's how we implemented multitasking. There is no before. This, there was no multitasking, and then this is how multitasking works. Well, you don't have that option on the Mac. It has a long, long history, and we're going to have to take a long time to sort of wake up from that history into the, uh, the lovely new age. Our second sponsor today is Harvest. It's a time-tracking and invoicing web-based application serving the most creative and innovative businesses in over 100 countries worldwide. Maybe yours is one of them. It should be. It's a really fast way to track time and keep track of project budgets. See, we're all talking all about projects today. This lets you send your clients beautiful professional invoices via email, PDF, or on the web. You can accept credit cards. You can check, get check payments. And uh, there's even a free companion iPhone and Android app. This is the cool thing. If you're out and on the go and you want to track your expenses, you can. And uh, I love this. You can take pictures of receipts and upload them straight into the app. How cool is that? It integrates with Google Apps. It integrates with Basecamp. And you can try it free for 30 days. And in that time, I guarantee you will realize that it will help you work better and help you grow your business. They don't make you give a credit card. There's no obligation or anything like that. Uh, you just go to getharvest.com slash 5x5. You've got to go there, and you'll sign up for a free 30-day trial. Now, when the trial period is, is running out, there's a code here, 5x5TV. 
You enter that at checkout, and you'll get 50% off your first month. And that expires uh, September 1st, 2011. So uh, go check them out. Getharvest.com slash 5x5. And that was my geek panic thing. That's what I, again. I don't. I don't think it's ambiguous. When I did the geek panic thing, of like it was acknowledging that <laughs> when I use that exact phrase with an exclamation point, that I understand that you, like me as a geek, are going, are going to freak out when you hear this because this is not the way it has worked for decades. And you, you can't do that. What are you talking about? You're, you're gonna the OS is gonna quit my application just because no windows are visible. What if I was using it? Or, or I'm going to quit the application, but it's not going to kill the process. I quit the application because I wanted those resources back for the OS. You can't, you know, it's just, it's geek panic. <laughs> uh, and it's, I don't know, is that analogous? It's like red panic? I don't know. There's some sort of history-based analogy for this type of thing. But I was trying to be cheeky about it to say this is sort of an irrational, unfounded fear. This is just progress. And it's going to be weird for us. Uh, but I think they're going in the right direction, even if they're, you know, even if it's weird in the transition and even if maybe they go too far in a couple of cases, you know, uh, someone brought up in the chat room something they wanted to talk about that was also mentioned on the talk show was uh, uh, Launchpad as the Finder replacement. I didn't talk about that in the review, but I had, uh, that's another one of the things I had stewing in my mind. Like, right. and the, Finder, the Finder section though. is so depressed these days. You know, it's like, what else is there to say about it? I don't like complaining about the Finder. Every release, they do some subtle tweak to it. They made it Cocoa, which was better. They make the performance better. They do some annoying things. They do some things that I like, but it's 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 just kind of there. there there's not that much interested in, in you know. It's just like, are they going to get rid of the Finder? Do they want us not to use it with iCloud? They don't even want your documents to be any place you can find them because they'll be buried in the library folder and they made the library folder invisible. So it's like, forget about the documents. For they're literally hiding them from you. Uh, the mobile documents folders where iCloud shoves stuff, and that's actually in your library folder. So they'll be literally invisible in the Finder. So, you know, is that where Apple's eventually going? Do they think the base of the computer, like it is on iOS, should be Springboard or something similar to Springboard, like Launchpad, where it's just a bin- bunch of applications and you launch them? Uh, and that's, that's the bottom level of the operating system, and no dealing directly with the file system. I'm sure Apple would love to do that. Some people at Apple would love to do that. And I'm sure other people at Apple would never let that happen. So <laughs> I think, uh, as Gruber pointed out, because he probably has talked to a lot of Apple people, as have I, that Apple is not monolithic. And inside Apple, almost every change that some geek doesn't like in line was opposed by a large faction of people inside Apple who didn't like it, whether it be uh, removing the scroll bars, reversing the scroll direction, uh, you know, hiding the library folder, it, Every single one of those changes, I guarantee you there are not just like one or two grumpy guys, but large sections of inside Apple who were against it and then large sections who were for it. And it was a battle and you can see who ended up winning in all, all the various cases. But Apple is not monolithically in favor of everything that you see in the operating system because it's filled with geeks. That, you, know, you think you're filled with geeks who, who are used to the way that uh, you know, Apple and Macs have worked for decades. There's a lot of them at Apple, as you can imagine. Uh, and so they were against this stuff, too. Uh, I think that they did the brave thing and the correct thing by going in the direction of progress. I think all of the uncharacteristic sort of backpedaling with the options, like turn it on and off, was a sop for the opposition camp because the opposition camp, you can say, look, we're going to go with this as default, but everyone knows that you guys are power users, so you guys well, don't be too pissed off. You can just check this checkbox and reverse it. 
the real battle will probably come in the next version. Like maybe this is a wedge issue where the people on one side of it say, well, yeah, we'll just put it in, but we'll put an option. And then the next version comes, they're going to they're gonna want to take away the option. And then the other camp's going to say, you can't take away the option. I always have it in that mode. And we had this big fight about this with Lion. And we decided the option was important so we could continue to work. And then but unfortunately, by that point, the you know, pro-progress camp will have numbers to say, well, 90% of our X millions of users use this as a default. And we have metrics to show that you know, they're perfectly happy with it, so we think this is just be the default and you'll just have to deal with it. And maybe it becomes a hidden P-list hack at that point, or maybe it disappears entirely. Uh, yeah, that's uh, everything we talked about in a previous show. That's the price of progress. Sometimes it hurts. So that, that long, rambling thing, all about sort of my overall view of Lion, I think that, that pretty much covers that. If there are specific sections or specific issues you want to talk about, you should dive into them. Well, one, one thing that I think... Uh I certainly was wondering when I was reading this, and I have to assume if I was wondering it, there's a handful of listeners that were probably also wondering this. Uh, how are you using it? Well, you know, when you took these screenshots and talk about the settings, you, I, uh, unless I'm remembering it wrong, I couldn't find anywhere where you said, and by the way, this is what I'm doing. Like, whether it comes to scrolling direction, uh, you know, whether you allow it to... You know, whether whether you have the little application active lights on in the dock, tell me about that. I mean, of the main points that you can recall off the top of your head, how do you do it? What's what's John's machine like? So that's a good that's a good topic to bring up because it it ties into another thing that people frequently ask me. Despite the fact that I do these big long views, I almost never I can't I don't remember maybe with ten one I almost never upgrade my own personal main system to the new operating system. On the day it's released. Almost never. I can't even, maybe with 10.1 I did it, but I can't even think of anything back then. So all the time that I'm using the OS for review purposes, I'm using sort of mongrel installations. A lot of the time when I'm reviewing, what I want is an empty hard drive, clean install to see what that experience is like. Because, and I learned this early on, what I, what I used to do was clone my regular hard drive, install on top of it, and try it like that. And that's not a good way to review an operating system because if you, if, I used to have tons of stuff installed, and I still do have a lot of little tweaks. If there's some little thing about my system in particular or some piece of software that I use that's screwing up the experience, hurting performance, making bugs that aren't really there, it's easy to erroneously blame that on the operating system when really it's the fault of some weird piece of software that I had installed or some peculiarity of my thing. So what I want to do most of the time is have a clean install of the operating system, like an empty hard drive, so I can say this is the OS as it exists because I want to separate that from software compatibility issues because those can be resolved like a week after release if it's some trivial little bug or uh, you know people software gets updated right so i don't want to slam an entire os and i see reviews of this all the time slam an os because it's not compatible with some piece of software that happened to use and they write this big angry review and then three weeks later that software is updated and that issue is gone so they just wrote you know thousands of words screaming about how horrible this os is for an issue that by the time most people read this review doesn't no longer exists right so I'm almost always reviewing a stock system. And as I use it, I start to build it up to be more like what I'm like. In fact, iCloud will probably make this easier. But even now, I can just, all right, so I sign in with my mobile me thing and I sync all my mobile me stuff. And I, and I install Dropbox and I sync my Dropbox files and I throw a few applications over there. And it starts to become more my system, right? Then I start to use it. Then I start to see how will I use this when I eventually upgrade my main machine because that, you know, it starts to look like my environment. But then I erase it and install the next developer build, and that process starts all over again. So I really don't have a good idea, really, of how I'm going to actually use it when I upgrade the line. I have, I have a notion because I've used it long enough, 
and sort of as I start to converge towards what my environment is like. Uh, but I've been wrong before. Like I've used it, you know, for months and months in developer seeds and say, yeah, when I upgrade this, I'm definitely going to have this option in this direction. And then when it goes into my main machine, maybe it's because of some other software I have on my main machine or like, for example, I rarely install drag thing on my machines that I'm testing with, but I always have it installed on my, on my main machine. That changes the way I'm going to set my options. So, so for example, the scroll bar issue, I went back and forth and back and forth on that so long in the dev builds. Uh, permanently on, permanently off, auto-detect. I actually bought a magic trackpad so I would have like the full swipey experience. <laughs> right. I wondered if you did that. Yeah, I bought that way back when. I actually bought it on eBay because I couldn't bring myself to pay whatever it is, 70 bucks. But I got a good deal on one on eBay. Uh, um, and, of course, I have the laptop I was testing on, so that has a trackpad too. Uh, you know, the scroll bar visibility, at first I thought, oh, my first instinct was, yeah, I'm going to have these on permanently, always on. No, no question, right? Then I used it more and more. So I left it in the uh, auto-detect or scroll bars invisible mode to do screenshots and stuff. And the thing, the thing that happened to me and that happens to a lot of other people too is you start to, if you're an aesthete, if you like how things look all out of proportion to what benefit you get from them looking nice, it, there is less clutter on the screen, right? You do get used to not seeing those scroll bars and the, the, sure. the, the thing that Gruber pointed out is a great example because for example in NetNewsWire an application that I always have open and that I use all the time I work very hard to keep my subscription list in the left hand sidebar so that no scroll bar is visible because the interface gets uglier when the scroll bar is visible so if I have to add another subscription I have to find something else to stick into a folder so that my subscriptions don't go too long and extend past the and make a scroll bar become visible but if you have scroll bars on you know, the invisible, hidden overlay mode, you don't have to worry about that anymore. So this, this sort of irrational, probably counterproductive habit of mine of keeping that list of the scroll bars invisible simply because I find the scroll bar uglier goes away. Uh, and you know, you know, it's, it's, it's removing some mental clutter from, from the OC, my OCD mind. But it's not, you know, it's, maybe it's just me and Gruber. So I don't think it's just the two of us. You know, he doesn't like it to see that scroll bar visible in his stuff either, yeah. uh, like in his mailbox list and stuff. Like that. I think a lot of people will get used to not having these scroll bars, even though they're minimized, even though the scroll bars look uh, not as glaring as a big blue lozenge tube thing. It, I think you'll get to the point, especially because most people run with the defaults, and then most Mac users have laptops where the defaults will be hidden, where one of those people will come over to someone's computer where they have scroll bars visible because they're a geek or they're using a Mac with just a mouse attached or something, and be like, ugh. Like, they're, they'll recoil <laughs> at the look of a screen covered with all these little lozenges on the edges of Windows, you know? It's already happened with the resize widget. If you use Line for a while and you go back and see those three tiny little 45-degree lines in the lower right corner of a window, you're yeah. like, what the hell is that? It's like someone spit on your interface. It's like pinstripes. <laughs> Remember pinstripes? Yes. You can't even look at a pinstripe a screenshot without freaking out. Those little resized stripes, same thing already. I can't even look at those anymore. You know, uh, uh, But scroll bars in general are something that people... Like, for example, if you go into the web design world, you'll see that people would often force scroll bars. In other words, even if a page didn't have the same amount of content as a page that would scroll, in their design, in the CSS, they would attempt to force uh, a scroll bar to appear 
so that you wouldn't have that jarring effect of going from an elegant main page that had no scroll bar or from one article to another page or article that does have a scroll bar and you the whole layout just sort of jumps around because of that. I mean, scroll bars have been a problem for years. For a lot, I think there's a lot of people who think this is, this is amazing, even if it just not just the OCD picky people like us, but people who well, are in designers, in I would design. lump into that camp. <laughs> Similar, you know, if Probably. anyone else is obsessive about how things look, it's going to be designers, not yeah. just uh, programmers and geeks. But you know, the, the, that way, that was the old Mac way, the classic Mac OS way. And the, the policy, I believe, right in the HIG said, if your window can ever have content that goes beyond the bounds of the window, you must show scroll bars all the time. Inactive, there'll be disabled scroll bars, but they, they said they do not want scroll bar suddenly appearing and suddenly disappearing based on user action you know so if you make lots of content suddenly scroll bars appear no that was not the mac way mac os 10 introduced that concept and the reason mac os 10 introduced that concept that was the baby step of of hidden overlay scroll bars because they said you know what windows looks much much cooler when they don't have those scroll out scroll stuck in them and i know in the classic mac os world we always said programmers please put scroll bars there just make them inactive so the, the controls don't appear disappear but hey take a look at this look at this terminal window here with one line prompt then, and I mean, you're not a terminal window. Look at this preview window with with an image in it that just exactly fits the in, the, the window. Doesn't it look much better, especially since now windows don't even have any borders, and we just have that transparent line, you know, around the edge. It looks crisp. It looks nice. And yeah, we've got those little resized widgets sort of overlaying the content because we have no place to put them uh, when we don't have scroll alleys. But it looks so much nicer. So let's do that. Let's in Mac OS 10. Let's decide that's the policy, and the designers won on that one. And Mac OS 10 from day one has been, if you're the policy has been. Obviously, every app doesn't follow this, but Apple always has, and I believe the Aqua user interface has always said this. If your content fits exactly in the window, there's no reason to show scroll bars. And if it suddenly doesn't, add the scroll bars on. Well, now they're finally getting rid of the last place. It's like, you know, all right. So, and if it suddenly becomes too big, still don't show the scroll bars. Totally, you know, just don't show them at all. If they start scrolling, then show them briefly and so on and so forth. And maybe you can flash them when the content gets too big to go, you know, it's... They're trying to move away from visual clutter, and it's, it's taking a long time to do that uh, because they know they're sacrificing information. And I find that feeling uncomfortable of not knowing if there's more or forgetting if there's more. And, and it ha- so far for me, it hasn't gone away. So, so as I was saying, getting back to how I'm going to do things, I started to really like the way things look without scroll bars. But I also started to really hate being fooled by whether there's more content or not. And I don't like pawing at things uh, to tell if there's more stuff there. I, I you know... I think when I go full time on my big monitor machines, I'm going to have scroll bars always visible, yeah. and I'm going to continue to not have to fight to not have a scroll bar on my you know subscription pane and that newswire and stuff like that. Uh, on a laptop, I think I'll probably set it to auto mode, in which case they'll be hidden. Uh, especially with a small laptop, I would do that. So well, and you know, you meant you thing mean, one thing. I don't think we mentioned you mentioned yet today on on today's show, but you did mention in your article is uh, a lot of the time when a uh, when a window opens, it will sort of flash the scroll bars to indicate there's more here, and then they'll sort of quickly fade away. Uh, I notice it sometimes. Sometimes I don't notice it. But you would think that there could be some very subtle visual hint. I'm I'm not going to attempt to suggest what that would be, but you know, it, th- there could be some visual cue that was there that was present for longer than that and unobtrusive, but would indicate there is more content here in some fashion you would have thought that would be there well the flashing is is the way they use that as i said in the review they yeah but it's not very good to use that when when suddenly when suddenly things change uh for instance uh, one example would be uh, when you do like command g to go find next when you're searching 
what has changed is your position within the document. So they've automatically teleported you to page 22 where the occurrence of the word you were searching for appears. And they want to communicate to you where you've landed in the document because you really have no idea. You just hit Command-G, right? So then they flash the scroll bars, and then you see the scroll bars. And the scroll bars provide a huge amount of information. You know, they're, where the, their position is and the height of them tells you a whole bunch, much more than just there's more stuff below. There's more stuff below, as you mentioned in the talk show, I think it was like, wonder if they did a fade at the bottom or something like that. Anything you do that affects the content area has real downsides because now you're screwing with the people's content. You don't mm-hmm. want to be drawing on top of it. Is that fade there or is that fade in the bottom of the image? Does the image just fade out of the end? You know, like if you ended up having looking at an image in preview that happened to have a fade out at the bottom, which is not uncommon if it's, you know, a, a particular gradient fade, it would fool you into thinking because you'd been trained by that OS effect. That means there's more content below and you did page down and nothing would happen. Right? Yeah. You, it's really difficult to screw with the content area. It, uh, the overlays, because they appear and disappear, it's clear they're not part of the content. It's clear that they're transient and they serve the same purpose as the scroll bar with the proportional scroll thumb and all that stuff. Uh, it's not a great solution. I don't know if there is one. Maybe, maybe a great solution is to have the scroll bars always visible and to further de-emphasize them. I, I, I don't know. Hmm. it's a difficult problem and, and I, every time I think about this I always question like how important is it really to get rid of this, this visual noise like are there other places where you could get bigger bang for your buck getting rid of visual noise than, than sacrificing all the information provided by a scroll bar I, I don't know uh, I think we'll I'll have to experiment to determine but I, yeah that's, that's how I think I'll use MagOS 10 the dots I will definitely have on on the applications because mostly because it's going to be a long time, I think very long, before applications are updated to allow auto-termination because that's one of the... That's not as easy to sell that to developers why they should enable that. They're like, no, my application, you can't terminate, so I'm not going to enable that feature ever, right? Uh, that will be a difficult, a very difficult cultural change, but it's certainly in the short term, my applications are not going to be like that. And maybe some applications will never be like that. Like, you don't want your mail application to ever be auto-terminated, even if all the windows are hidden because you want it in the background receiving mail. Right. Uh, you know... So I, I don't know how that's going to go over. But yeah, dots dots will be under my applications. What other options are there that you'd be interested in how I think I'm going to run it? You know, to be honest, those are the main two. Now, there's something else. Oh, scroll direction. Scroll direction. That was the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the scroll direction. I thought I had a couple people have agreed with this point, but I haven't heard it echoed so much. My main issue with scroll direction well, there's two issues. One, obviously, is a consistency issue, and everyone has talked about that, and you can reverse it on Snow Leopard, but what if you have to use some other machine? Like, it's a transitional period. You're always going to be all screwed up. That's frustrating. But my main issue is that I don't use a laptop most of the time. I'm using a desktop, and I'm using a desktop with a mouse attached to it, uh, and all my mice have scroll wheels. And even if they didn't, my big thing is that fingers grasp. You know, that your fingers in a relaxed position, when you contract the muscles, your fingers grasp, that your fingers pull down. Extending is a less natural motion. The bigger, the bigger, stronger muscles are in grasping. You can grip something much more tightly than you can push the back of your fingers up against something. It's just the way human physiology works. And so if I'm going to be scrolling down all day long, which I am because scrolling is always the, you're, you're almost always going down, right? You're not scrolling up. I want that to be the motion that my body is most efficiently able to perform, and that's grasping. So it's flicking down on the scroll wheel simply because physiologically that is... That's the most natural motion for fingers, and I'm going to be doing it all freaking day. Now, I, I like touch-based things. I like the Magic Mouse touch part. I don't like the other parts of the Magic Mouse because it's too low and too heavy. But I like touch and stuff like that, but it's the same thing on touch. Same thing. It, it, you, you want to be pulling towards yourself. 
it's not like the other way is going to cause me to break my fingers off or it's, just, it's simply less efficient and less natural. I'm sure I would get used to it, but for now, I'm definitely going to have scroll direction in the quote-unquote normal way, which is kind of a shame because, not that I'm ever going to use Launchpad, but if I did, if you're on Launchpad and you have like a touch mouse and you have scrolling set to like the Snow Leopard direction for you know pulling down to see lower in the document, then scrolling feels backwards on Launchpad because as soon yeah. as you see Launchpad, you're like, oh, I'm on iOS mode. Let me swipe those icons. And it goes the opposite direction. You know, so you can't win. It would be, it would be great if they could change the – have independent axes you know, of, like, <laughs> of vertical scrolling. It's kind of like a first-person shooter. Uh, y – what do they call it? Uh, inverted Y. Every game usually allows you to invert the Y axis but keep the X axis the same when you, right. when you mess around because some people are used to it. It would be nice if Mac OS X had inverted Y but kept the X – the natural way so that you could swipe left and right among even if you're just going swiping left and right on safari and stuff like that i would like to have inverted y but regular you know x uh, and also i'd really like it if they would unlink the trackpad preference or the mouse preference i've had people tell me if you change the mouse and trackpad tracking in the correct order that you can change them independently but every time the i correct try to order yeah, like first change the mouse one to the direction you want, but then change the trackpad one to the reverse or vice versa. I don't remember that somehow they're not linked. But every time I tried during testing, I was like, great, there's a separate setting in trackpad for reverse direction, a separate setting in mouse. And every time I changed one and one, it would change in the other. And it doesn't help that Apple changed the wording. And I believe they even changed the logical meaning of like it used to be a negative thing that you would check to turn on, but then it changed to a pop thing that you would uncheck to turn off. But anyway... Those two options, the fact that they are linked in any way is annoying because I think they should be independent because obviously on a trackpad, one thing feels more natural than on a mouse. So scroll direction I will have in the old Snow Leopard one because I use mouse wheels and because I think pulling my finger towards me is more comfortable than doing it the other way. Our third sponsor, our last sponsor, but by no, no means our least important sponsor, is uh, brought to you by Careers 2.0. Careers 2.0 is a new service provided by our friends over at Stack Overflow. Now, of course, you're probably all familiar with Stack Overflow. Uh, it's the online Q&A resource dedicated specifically to programmers and programming-related topics. Well, the team at Stack Overflow created the Careers 2.0 service to provide you with access to great jobs and also introduce you to a bunch of great companies you might consider working for, even if you're not currently looking for a job. You can think of Careers 2.0 as a programmer profile that gives you a platform to show your awesomeness by featuring your proudest contributions to Stack Overflow, GitHub, SourceForge, Bitbucket, anything programming related. And you can even add your own favorite programming books from Amazon.com. Profiles on Careers 2.0 are free, and they're easy to get started, especially by importing your LinkedIn profile. I mean, how, how easy could that? And everybody seems to have one of those things. Uh, but there's one catch. Profiles on Careers 2.0 is invite only, and they did this to keep out the spam and create a high-quality environment. But fortunately for you as a hypercritical listener, I've already invited you to join the tens of thousands of other programmers who already have a profile. So head on over to uh, careers.stackoverflow.com hc to accept your invitation today. Once again, there's the URL. Write this down with a pen on your hand careers.stackoverflow.com slash hc and uh, you'll be in in like Flynn we'd also like to mention that bandwidth for this month has been provided by Midas Green Technologies virtual private servers submerged in oil in actual oil check it out midasgreentech.com so one more thing that uh, that I thought 
you did discuss and you were critical of. But I don't. I feel like you were too. You. You. I don't want to say you gave it a. You gave it a kitchen pass, but you were way not critical enough. You were too nice, even though you probably devoted a whole page to it. You were still too nice about the visual interface changes that do nothing except sl- give the appearance of slowing things down. And the example is talking about a window that opens. It starts from the central point of where the window will be when it's fully expanded, and it animates the expansion of the window. Like you talked about that, you went on. And on. You, I wish you had been twice as critical of that than you were. I mean, it's it, the horribleness of that. That to me is. I mean, look, I would say upgrade to 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 Lion just to get the new mail app. It's that good, but I. The abs for me. The worst thing about it, I don't want to see a window animating from a tiny little pinpoint. Grow it. It it does everything that you and you perfectly nailed the issue in uh, in your article. It's just that it it gives the perception of being much slower. Whether I I mean I don't know how you would time this, but the length of time that it takes to open a new window in Lion versus Snow Leopard. It's probably pretty, pretty much the same thing, but it feels so much slower on Lion, and the perception is that things take a long time. To, now, when you close the window, it's gone instantly, and you mentioned that too. It's just you close, it's gone. Uh, but opening windows, it's it's so bad, and there's as far as I know, there's no way to turn that off yet. Is there? I have not found a way. I thought I was pretty, pretty no, you clearly weren't, against that. You were that. not. Like, you, no, you it, were it, against it, only, it, but it, it you weren't enough. It was the only video in the entire review. It wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe in my old age, I don't go off on there. Like, I was like, what more there is there to say? Look at this freaking video. Every time you make a new document, it does that animation. I explain logically why this animation is different from other animation. I described how it felt for it to appear. I said this was a bad choice. I said I, I but really you know what? You didn't, I could turn it off. You should have brought it up. You should have brought it up five, six, seven, eight more times throughout the rest of the interview. Yeah. It just well, what a, horrible. Whatever everyone's pet peeve is, they wish I would yell about more. But again, maybe I'm getting tired of my old age of yelling about things. So maybe I don't think yelling is the most constructive. But I'm with you 100% on everything that you said there. Uh, and I'm pretty much just as pissed about it as you are. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, for example, I would be much more pissed if scroll bars couldn't be made visible. You know what I mean? I'm thankful for the options. That See, I, I wouldn't. Given. Maybe that tempered my... I would There's one option they didn't give me that's so horrible, like it's the one bad, horrible thing, you know? Uh, I would rather not have the scroll bars be visible than this. Uh, I, I wouldn't make that trade-off. Sure, I would. Because that's how bad this is. Yeah, it it is bad. And, uh, you know, again, even if you can't, like, measuring... Trying to again, trying to time it to see. I'd rather go back to the really system slower. system six scroll bar, system seven <laughs> scroll bars, and I have is to it, live with those in this. Is it empirically s- slower, or, you know, or do we have the cycle to spare? The only thing I can say about it is, that at the very least, you are u- utilizing CPU and GPU resources more than you used to be. Maybe there were idle resources and they were there anyway. But if you want to go eco on it, you can say there's a slight increase in power usage from, because now the GPU had to draw the window when it's this size, the window when it's in between size, and the window full size. Whereas before, the, it would just have to draw the, the window once and repeat that over months and months. And you probably, it's probably an extra one eight thousandth of a penny in electricity that you're being... Co- <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's it's hard thing. to come up with. I mean, everything you said about why it's horrible, I agree with. But 
empirically speaking, I bet people, I don't know. Now, John, we we get a lot of email from listeners, and we appreciate the email. And a a lot of the email is correcting things that we've said or or commenting on things that we've pointed out, whether they agree or disagree. And once in a while, we get like a little tip. If anybody can figure out the P-list setting or the default setting that, that can turn that off, I don't want to. I don't want to have to install an app to do it. You know what I'm saying? Just give me, give me something to type on in, in terminal. Yeah, I'm, I've been. Don't think I haven't been looking for it. And I'm assuming the vast resources of the interwebs uh, will eventually find it if it exists. Here's what I'm saying. I know that people, people. I know that people at Apple listen to this show. I don't know how many. I know there is a, you know, a small group of people at Apple who who listen to this. I'm assuming it's probably Steve Jobs and Phil Schiller and. A couple of their friends, they just kick back on a weekend and listen. If one of you guys could email this to me, I, I will not tell who that you sent it. I'll keep it on the DL. Maybe I'll, t- I'll tweet about it. I won't mention who told me. Total secrecy. Total anonymity. But please let me know today. Well, if you want to get depressed, like, I today. fully expected that... You know, just because I wasn't able to find this in my brief searching, I fully expected once this thing goes on the web, I will immediately get emails from 17 people from Apple saying, oh, yeah, here's the P-list thing for it. No contact so far. So this is starting making me scared that there really is no way to turn it off. Yeah, because be bad. almost any time I mention anything like that in a review, somebody, from, who knows, will immediately contact me and tell me what it is. Uh, and if not someone from Apple, then wait three days and someone on the Internet will find it Uh if someone has found it already, please tell me. I, I will be sure to mention it on the show. So now here's, uh, some, here's something that, you know, we don't want to run too long. But I feel like I feel like we could really, this is such a great piece that you wrote here. This will be fodder for us for a long time, whether it's just as FU or whether it's, you know, it's, it's full show topics. But there's one thing that I just, I want to ask you, because this is something that I'm, I'm thinking about doing today. So I got this new MacBook Air. The day that they were announced, I ordered it, got here the next day. And uh, it, it, my understanding is that a MacBook Air is a portable computer. Does that check out? Sure. And your recommendation was that you would, you would use full disk encryption on, I believe that the phrase that you used was, any, compu- any portable computer I travel with. Was that the is that the correct terminology? Is that the phrase? I, I don't remember wording, but what I was trying to get at is if you think there's any possibility that you could accidentally leave it somewhere, it could be stolen. Like if you're if you're a traveling person, you go through airports, you're at hotels, you know, because a lot of people get laptop computers and they never leave their house. We're one of them. We have laptop computers in our house and they almost never leave the house. Or if they do, they come with us to go to another relative's house. But you're saying if you take a computer with you to work or to coffee shops or or on yeah, trips, any place, of any, could, kind? any place it could fall into someone else's hands. You're saying turn this thing on. Yes. And you, uh, and and no, you actually, also said actually, performance Performance does not seem to be affected when you tested it. Did you, did you test it on a high-powered, you know, high-end MacBook Pro with 8 gigs of RAM and uh, an i7 or what? Uh, actually, let me, before, keep this thought because I want to circle back to something else we talked about before. Sure. It's related to this, which, is, which I was trying to get to in the topic about how I'm going to use Line and how I just test it in these weird forms and I build it up to how I'm like and then I erase it and try to test on clean installs. Uh, the, and I said how I, how I hadn't upgraded to Line yet, and I rarely do in, you know, immediately upgrade. So the reason I don't immediately upgrade, my policy for years has been let everybody else upgrade. 
let everybody else find all the problems in the operating system and in the programs. It's mostly the programs. And my, my MO is to keep the previous operating system on my main system. Obviously, I have auxiliary systems and stuff, upgrade them. But on my main important system where everything has to work, what I want to do is over the coming weeks and months, or I don't know how long it's going to be, update every one of the applications that I use to be Lion Savvy. So whatever it is, the default folder X, which I love, upgrade that to, to, to the Lion version. I've already done that. You know, the, the latest version of BBEdit, if it wasn't already Lion Savvy, upgrade to the version that is. And I think it is already fine. Everything, all the applications that I use on a daily basis, let everyone else discover what the problems are there in, in Lion. And let me eventually end up with a system running Snow Leopard that nevertheless has all the installed software absolutely ready for Lion. And that includes stuff like uh, Mac Fuse, like whatever, you know, I got an updated version of Fuse that works with, with Lion. I want to have that installed in Snow Leopard if possible. Uh, you know, if I have to rebuild uh, any of my open source software and I can't do it later, you know, I rebuild 64-bit versions or something like that. But, right. you know, and, and what I want to happen is when I finally decide to pull the trigger on a Lion install, no surprises, none. I want to upgrade and have everything just like immediately work because I've spent all of this time making sure every single application and piece of software I use is Lion ready. That's how I go with the with the upgrade process. Everyone thinks like I immediately upgrade to Lion and I'm running it all the time. People are constantly asking me, oh, can you check this out in Lion? How does this work or whatever? And it's like, I would do it because it takes two seconds, but I'm sitting in front of Snow Leopard. I have Snow Leopard at home and certainly have Snow Leopard at work because you don't want to disrupt your work environment until you're sure everything's going to work. And work has a whole other issue in terms of IT policy and all that business. Uh, so encryption falls under the same category. I said that you know I ran encrypted almost the entire time using Lion in for, the, for all the dev builds. The first thing I did was I installed it. I, I, if there's something I needed to, to figure out, like right after it was installed, like what is the first launch experience of this, or what are these defaults, or whatever, fine, I did that, and then I immediately encrypted. I used encrypted for months and months. And in all the dev builds, never a single problem related to encryption. Never corrupted my disk. And I sure screwed around with the disk utility command. Yeah, you and, should you know, did all sorts of stuff that you shouldn't be doing. It never had a problem booting. It never seemed slow to me in any way. Now, I didn't benchmark it, but I'm going to say for most normal people, with spinning disks in particular, you just won't notice. Now, obviously, if you're doing like video or even maybe uh, heavy-duty multi-track audio or something like that, there is going to be some sort of I.O. hit for it. But I did not do benchmarks in this. There's another thing. I, if I had more time, I would have done benchmarks in some of these things. It's because I don't think Lion was about performance or benchmarking. So that's not like there was the thrust of the OS and I had to spend my time on what I thought was the most important. Uh, some people have done benchmarks. So, for example, they did a benchmark of PGP whole desk encryption versus Lions. Actually, it was a slightly older version of PGP whole desk encryption versus Lions. And Lions encryption was twice as fast as PGP. Oh, wow. uh, now, it's not, it's not, you don't get nothing for free, it's, but I think it would be imperceptible for normal usage. Browsing the web, doing some email, even stuff like running Photoshop, stuff like that, you're usually not I.O. bound in most of the things that you do. Um, and I think that Apple's implementation is really solid. And that's the reason I said, if you have a Mac that you, you think there's a possibility it could be stolen, the peace of mind you will get from having that thing hold this encrypted is great. And, and I, I say that also based on my uh, multiple years now of using a Mac at work that is entirely encrypted. You forget it's there. It has no software compatibility issues except for the, the issue of when it's a third-party product and you upgrade the OS and it hosts you, which I tweeted about recently. Again, updated to 10.6.8 and it hosts my PGB holders encryption. Obviously, if it's made by the operating system vendor and built into the operating system, I would hope that you wouldn't have those problems. But sure. uh, n no data loss. Uh, I've been paranoid ever since I encrypted my Mac at work that I was going to somehow lose my drive because both of my drives are encrypted, including my time machine backup. 
that I was going to lose everything. And, you know, it hasn't happened. I've always been able to just boot from a recovery disk. You know, I haven't forgotten my password. So I wholeheartedly endorse Apple's whole disk encryption based on my experience running it almost all the time with the dev builds and based on my experience with a third-party product running whole disk encryption. It is way better than any, you know, because it's invisible to application software. All your applications, people keep asking me, does SuperDuper work with encrypted disk? How will my backups work? How does Time Machine work? Your software has no idea the disk is encrypted. That's the beauty of it. It looks like a completely unencrypted disk. There are no software compatibility. If it's, you know, if it's done right, there are no software compatibility issues with anything except excuse me, except maybe like bootloaders or the boot process or whatever. And again, I would think Apple would get that right. So combine that advice with the notion that I don't even upgrade my computer until I'm sure all my application software works and you'll get sort of a picture of how I, how I look at these things. In the right. review, I don't want to say, I don't like reviews that say, they, they temper every single statement about the operating system with, but you know, you should really wait before you upgrade because I wouldn't trust this quite right out of the box. And like, like FUD, like, you know, tempering every nice thing you say or every interesting feature with like, but there's no way I would try this until at least six months after it's been out for a while to find the bugs. That's true of every single piece of software ever, not just 0.0. And it, it weakens the review and it's pointless to constantly reiterate after everything, every, every feature you describe. But don't even try this now because it's probably going to be really buggy and you should wait six months. Overall, if you are concerned about bugs and compatibility, wait six months, period. It has nothing to do with an individual feature, and it's not a slight on the product itself. It's true of everything. It's true of even a point release. Like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been stupid and upgraded to 10.6.8 by just clicking a button. You just get used to doing the, you know, 10xy. You just get used to doing the y releases. Oh, I'll just upgrade. Oh, I'll just update. I should have waited a day, read on the web, or looked for, hey, anyone have any issues with 10.6.8? I would have immediately found the PGP whole disk encryption people having problems, and I, you know, don't upgrade immediately just for the hell of it and this is not that's something and i talked about at the end i think in the recommendation section i was trying to say don't be in a hurry to upgrade you you know if you want to upgrade right away fine but you'll be better off if you just wait that's just that's true of all software period it is not particularly true of line now if i had individual experiences with the line dev builds that led me to believe the line was buggy or the whole disk encryption was buggy i probably would have said oh i use whole disk i tried to use whole disk encryption all through the dev builds but it never quite worked so i don't quite trust the the release of one even that might not be fair because apple has done some amazing turnarounds over the years where a feature has been buggy 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 right up until like the very last build and then it's rock solid uh, and users don't know about this because they didn't run the dev builds but they've had some amazing releases where just before like the build before the retail release everything suddenly becomes super rock solid in a particular feature and never and never backslides uh so my recommendation on this is if you are running Lion now, if you've made that plunge, then I would say, yeah, make the encryption plunge. Uh, again, you have to have good backups. You know, it, it, be prepared for disaster. Don't trust it implicitly. Uh, but that's that's true of anything, not just because of encryption. So. And you, you mentioned would super, something like Super Duper work, uh, Time Machine work. It's going to, but if you're cloning the drive... Is the clone going to be encrypted or no? I would oh, say no. See, this is what people have computers. Like, and that's, I, just want to clar- you- I just want to clarify that because SuperDuper is operating at a system level, which is above yeah, the level of the encryption. So it sees regular files. And I just yeah. want people to understand this because if not, you'll, I'm trying to save you emails, John. Oh, I'm still getting them. Trust me. Right. <laughs> not, but yeah, I mean, stuff. if you, so it's, it would be the same thing as copying a file to to another hard drive yeah, or, it's, over it's, a network. It, it's it's going to decrypt it instantaneously. You're not going to know it was ever encrypted. Super duper doesn't know it was encrypted. So of course, anything that you do like that, including your time machine backup. So you you're encrypting your time machine backup. What if I want to do both lines encryption and 
PGP's encryption. Will they play nicely? I don't think that's possible. Did you test I, it? No. Okay, so you're, would, you're really, your review is incomplete then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, don't even try that. <laughs> it's, I don't think that will work at all. I think it will just, I don't think it will hose your data, but I think it will pro- almost certainly render your system unbootable. <laughs> and so you, you advise against that? Yeah, don't do that. All right. So the, the, maybe the way to think about, if I had known this would be such an issue of confusion, I would have tried to clarify more in the review. But the way to think about it is that when you turn your machine on, whether you're using PGP or Line or whatever, you immediately get this prompt that wants a password. It right. hasn't done anything yet. It's like, you need to, to give me the magic word to allow access to this drive. Once you give that magic word on that very early firmware-based, like it hasn't booted the operating system, it, it, has, it has no idea what's on your drive. Your drive is just a completely opaque bucket of scrambled binary crap at this point. And it puts up a UI and says, type in a password. After you type that password, from that point on, pretend your disk is not encrypted. And then, then when questions like, well, if I make a time machine backup, will it be encrypted? You answer that question by going back to that, that rule I just said. After you enter that password, you're, pretend your drive is not encrypted. Okay, your drive is not encrypted. You make a, a time machine backup. Is a time machine backup encrypted? No, because after you enter that password, drive is not encrypted, period. See, I think it would be fun to call this, this show, a com- what was the thing, completely... What did you just say? It was great. <laughs> a completely opaque bucket opaque of binary bucket crap. Opaque bucket of binary crap. Yeah. Completely That's, opaque bucket of binary crap. That is not this show, because this show, if you were to run the file utility on it from the old world of Unix, <laughs> say, you know, audio file uh-huh. eight or whatever. So we won't it's use it. Completely this opaque. So listen, how are we gonna how are we gonna handle upcoming shows? We're gonna I, just we're just gonna go section by section from now on until we're done, until the next OS is out? Yeah, I think we hit the highlights here, but I think there's more in there. There's a lot uh, more in there. And remember, like, in my notes from the previous show, we had a whole bunch of follow-up that we had to shelve that's totally not line-related. So that's out there lurking in the back, and I've, I've been adding to that. And there's still Markdown out there. But, yeah, next show, I think we'll talk about lines some more. I think so. I think we need to because this is great. And, again, congratulations. So if you want to support John's excellent work uh, on this piece, obviously go read it if you want to support John directly. What's the best way for them to do that? Go. They can either sign I will, up. With, I will put in the show notes link my Amazon referral link for the Kindle ebook, which so some people are buying even though they don't plan to read it, which is fine. You just want to give some money. Uh, uh, Gruber linked, uh, if you want to go to Daring Fireball, his link was the Amazon referral link, but right. I will also put it in the show notes. So if you go to daringfireball.net and search for my name or on the, the 19th, you will find that Syracuse post that he made, uh, and there's the referral link. Uh, or I'll put it in the show notes. You can follow John as uh, Syracuse Nosy on uh, Twitter, and that's it. So we'll be back. We'll be back regular time next week. I plan on uh, next week. I will be on vacation. Yeah, but you, you never really take a vacation from this show, is what I've been. Told. Yeah, I I planned on recording from vacation, but I got word from my brother who went down to the beach house yesterday that the people who own the beach house are planning to sell it and have canceled their internet access. <laughs> okay. And we have no internet access whatsoever. There. So you're, you're canceling the vacation? No. <laughs> We're going to have to mix next, next week's show unless you find some magical way to give me an internet connection. I would just assume, like, if you're planning to go somewhere and you discover that there's no internet, you cancel the Yeah, the, the vacation's off. Yeah. yeah. No. But that's, not a, that's an, what not I would do. All right, well. Actually, let me look at the calendar. Let me see we'll we can, figure it out. I'll be, I'll be back... You know what we can do another weekend that, that we could do a weekend special again. We'll do another Sunday. Yeah. Saturday or Sunday are both open. 
So we could do the weekend days. We'll do something special. Maybe this becomes, you know, like a like a Sunday afternoon show until things uh, equilibrium this, is restored. I told you about this vacation a long time ago, but yeah, this is my one summer vacation every year. My my wife and kids are down there now. Actually, I will be joining them after a few more days of work. Wow. Well, the next time, if you could, just clear it with me. You know, a couple months in advance. I did tell you about it a long time ago, but you what don't did remember. I say? But now that Faith is there, she'll keep track of these things. Oh, she sure will. She's going to be great. All right. So listen, everybody, follow John Syracuse on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Benjamin. You can go to 5by5.tv and uh, and rate all of the... Well, you don't rate the shows there. You can find all of the old shows there. You can rate the show on iTunes, which we appreciate. You can go to 5by5.tv slash contact, which is the appropriate place uh, to send us an explanation as to how to, to turn off that... Uh, useless graphical user interface tweak in line and uh, that's about it we'll see y'all again next week mm-hmm.